You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness, and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader discusses Chapter 4 of his book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, and the quest throughout time to understand what nature is made of. How can the mind, whether we think of it as our mind, or the intelligence of nature, of which we are a part, be seen as the creator and governor of the physical universe? Today, for those who are joining us new, we are discussing chapter four of One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, and there are many questions that have come. Thank you for being with us. The first chapter, just as a reminder, set the stage with the questions that I, as an author, asked myself, the things that I have faced, and in a way, my little worldview at that time, when I started thinking about these topics of life and living, freedom, happiness, joy, pain, suffering, and evil. And then the path that I went through. And the second chapter was about yourself. And how is it? We said it is your worldview that was being brought to life. Your personal worldview. We don't think usually that we have something that is called worldview. We know we have a physiology, we know we have a mind, we know we have character, we have qualities, we have things that we do better than other things, we have expectations, plans, hopes, and all of this is actually happening in our consciousness, in our awareness, that has a filter, a quality, that is what we call, for lack of a better world, a worldview. So a worldview is whether you believe in justice, whether you believe in freedom, whether you believe there is a purpose in life and what is that purpose, whether you believe there are laws and who created these laws. For example, is it a supreme being that has a rigid structure that you have to follow? Or is it some laws that have been created out of trial and error in the world of chaos and randomness and instability? And sometimes you might feel these things and sometimes you might not be aware of them. And sometimes you might change your mind. Sometimes you think actually that you believe in them in a certain way, but you act as if you don't. And that is because you don't fully believe in it. For example, if you feel there is law and order in the universe and still violate the laws, for example, acting in ways that are not compassionate, that are not good, if you think that these are part of the laws or acting in ways that are not supportive for life or for others, if you think this is part of what is the reality of life, that means you believe maybe that you think that there are laws, but in reality, deep within you, you do not really subscribe to such laws in a fundamental way. It just remains an intellectual level. 
By the way, you might also wonder that you have no freedom, that everything is fate, everything is deterministic, that everything is subject to chance and situations and circumstances. In chapter three, after having defined one's own worldview, and you can remind yourself what is your worldview, we discussed elements that play a very important role in the basic scheme that allows us to find what is a path to take so we can understand whether our worldview is only a filter that we have put in front of our eyes that doesn't allow us to see the reality as it really is. And we said this is like wearing yellow glasses and seeing everything yellow or wearing red glasses and seeing everything red. And so there are all these perspectives that we can see things from the level of our senses. We can see things from the level of our mind, our intellect, our understanding, and also on a deep level from the level of consciousness, from the level of our awareness and how deep and how wide our awareness is and whether it allows us to see reality in its fullness. And for that, the introduction of two aspects, which are very, very essential. These are two players in our game, in our plot, in our story. And these two players are one is the material value and the other is the mental value, the value of consciousness, of awareness. So how these two relate to each other? Because we have our body and our body has its needs. It has its instincts, it has its desires. It has that side which has usually been called the animal side within us. And there is the mental side, the consciousness side, which is more on the spiritual side, if you like, because it's not material. It doesn't have to be religious, it can be spiritual. Even an atheist can be spiritual, which means can believe that there is awareness, there is consciousness, there is a higher value irrespective of believing in one religion or the other, or even in God. And these are the different things that influence our worldview and are very, very fundamental in establishing a logic that will lead us to solve all these big questions in life. Because if you recall, the title of the book is One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, but there is a subtitle which says, simple answers to the big questions in life. And this is really where we want to end. We want to end with having answers to the big questions, which means about peace in society, about happiness, about the reason things happen, about the purpose of life, about where we're going and where we are, where we came from. These are very difficult questions in science as well as philosophy. And we want to able to resolve them, not just for a theoretical, logical reason, but for a practical value, because they have profound implications on how we live our life and how we can understand aspects of life, such as, for example, the pandemic that happens to us, such as things and circumstances that happen to us in a way that we cannot control and how much we have mastery of our life and how much we are subject to events from the outside. And in this case, what can we do about it? And whether this is real or that is real, this is very important to understand what life is made of, what are the essence of life.
And this brings us to chapter four, which really actually discusses a very important point, and that's the topic of today. And that is, what do these big thinkers, intellectual people, and knowers of reality from the philosophy side, from the science side, tell us about all of this? We set ourselves as an investigator, a detective, a researcher, who wants to find the truth, wants to find the value of reality and how it builds up. And in this, rather than start from nothing, let's start with what people know, what people have done, those who have researched this, in what way they researched it, what did they look at? Because we are the detective and we want to have as much information about the scenery and the scene and the circumstances so that we can find the ultimate situation and the who caused what and who did what. So instead of starting from our own self, just imagining things, we want to know what the reality offers to us. And this chapter brings that into perspective. There has been a question about a couple of days ago about if other people who are intelligent and capable and knowers of reality believe in something, why can't we just believe like them? Because they're more intelligent and more specialist in that field. This is a very logical question. It's not that we have to depend on other people's opinion, but if there are experts in the field of something, if you want to have a problem, a medical problem, you want to see an expert in medicine, an expert who knows what is happening. If you have a car that is broken, you need a mechanic who is an expert in the car to fix it. So it's good to ask ourselves these questions and also ask what people have said who are been before us over through history and who has posed these same questions to themselves and tried to answer to us what is their opinion. So this chapter brings about the different values of historical perspective mainly related to these questions that we are asking. It cannot be inclusive of all the philosophies and all the thinkers because this is huge. It's been the history of mankind really as early as humans have been thinking about things, have been thinking about reality, to ask these questions from these different perspectives. But it asks these questions from a specific point of view, and that is to answer one aspect of the book, which is one unbounded ocean of consciousness, is the term one, the oneness value. Is there one source of everything? Is there one source of reality? And we see throughout history that people have been looking for that one source. And they went from diversity on the surface level to thinking maybe that things are made out of air, things are made of water, things are made out of fire. And as scientists kept probing, they said maybe things are made out of atoms, which are like billiard balls, and then they connect together to create molecules and like that build up to be the complexity of the vast universe. And more have delved deeper in modern science into these billiard balls and found them they are not billiard balls at all. They are actually made out of more elementary aspects that are themselves not confined in time and space, but spread out, and then they seem to collapse when we are observing them. 
And this is the field of fields, actually, the reality of fields and quantum fields. And it describes the fields as being something you don't see, you don't touch, but it has an effect such as two magnets coming together. They pull on each other or push against each other if the poles are in one direction or the other. And what is pulling this one to the other? It's the field between them. When you drop the apple, for example, and it falls on the ground, that is connection between the earth and the apple, which we call gravity. So there is a field, and that field is a reality, or there is a space-time structure, if we go with Einstein's relativity theories, that define the path through which the apple will fall. So in that apparent empty space, there is something that is happening, and these are fields. And it turns out that when you look at the fine levels of reality, these fields are very real. And they exist, and they have been studied, and they have been confirmed from so many, many angles. So what we really come out with in Chapter 4 as an important conclusion is that Reality is made out of layers, ultimately. There is a surface layer, so when we say the Earth is flat, it is flat for me today, now. This is what is significant. If the sun moves from east to west, it is true in my perception on one level. But if I go deeper into intellectual analysis, I know the Earth is round, I know the sun is not moving itself in our sky, but the Earth is rotating around its axis, something we already said many times. But this is to say that from different levels of analysis, from different levels of perspective, there are many layers of reality. And so this introduces us to the concept of perspective which is going to be used a lot in the book, the perspective. It means from which point of view you are looking at things. If you look at the landscape from the right, you might see things a little differently than if you look at it from the left. If you look at it from a big lens that sees the whole landscape is one thing. If you zoom into the specific values that construct the landscape, you might see all these individual entities and individual details. So there is this layers of knowledge, layers of understanding, layers of perception. Our nervous system has limited amount of perception also in terms of frequency of light, frequency of sound, ability to see things. And therefore there are all these layers. Now, these layers, are separate, does it mean that when one layer comes to be true in our understanding that the other layers are totally wrong? No. All the layers have their reality on their own level. And this is something which is very important to keep in mind is that you can have different layers and they are there and it does not annihilate the previous layer. It just brings to our awareness a bigger perspective that allows us to see things from a deeper reality and therefore have the knowledge that is needed to understand fullness and wholeness in a complete way. And this chapter four brings these points from historical a little bit perspective to modern perspective about helping us to see what these intelligent people from different times have revealed based on whatever knowledge they have.
discovered or they are bringing to our attention. So this is basically the fourth chapter. And now I go to your questions, some of the questions that has come. Lydia Cohen from Israel is asking, can you please explain as it was before, yata purvam akalpayat, in relation to determinism and free will? This sentence is in the Vedic uh, knowledge, in the Vedic tradition, that says that universes come and go as they were before, which means everything as if is determined. Now, what is determined are the principles, are the basic aspects that we will discover through the book, how they are and what they are. And what is also determined is the holistic necessity of balance. So that, let's say, there is an electron that spins in one way and that is entangled with an electron that spins the other way. So they keep balance of spin and we will get as we go into the book, into these definitions. So if you don't know what spin means, it's just rotation in one direction. And in nature, there is a balance of rotation. So everything has to add up to a certain value, which is, let's say, zero, which means if you have spin in one direction, there has to be spin in another direction somewhere else. Or if you like to take charge, if you create something out of a neutral structure that has a plus charge, you have absolutely to create a minus charge so that plus and minus come to neutral, so balance is maintained. And as you go through the book, you find that this is a very important aspect of what maintains the balance in life, and that is the singularity of the oneness of the absolute, the singularity of the oneness of the unbounded ocean of consciousness because it is one and therefore even as it appears as many, the many have to balance themselves so that they reflect the oneness of one. So you cannot create something without balancing it. As we say in other words, you know, nothing is destroyed or created, everything is transformed and you will see this as we go through the book. So there are basic principles that allow things to happen in one universe or another universe or many universes that are reflecting the fact that things are going to happen, but there are always individual freedom, individual ability to choose which direction to go and what aspect to make. And therefore, there is, if you like, a template a basic structure, a basic intelligence, a basic logic that is containing all possibilities. And then out of these all possibilities, manifestations can change depending on situations and circumstances. This is taking us ahead of our chapter four, because as you go along, you will find that this is also very beautifully explained and the relationship between freedom and determinism is there. So there is a field which you will encounter that has structure and perfection and all of that. There is a reality that has the possibility of freedom and choice and, and like that. And how they work together and how they influence each other, this is what you will discover as you go on with the book. Gloria is again with us. Gloria Kaufman from the United States. 
The physicist Michio Kaku says that, in speaking about string theory, recently said that the missing paradigm is music and that physics was the harmony, chemistry, the melody, the entire universe is a symphony and the mind of God is a cosmic music resonating through hyperspace. It's beautiful, it's very poetic. He said he thinks this is the final piece that eluded Einstein. Could you comment on this and can you elaborate on the value of sound? I think what Michio Kaku is saying here is referring to the theory of superstrings, which is the latest unifying theory that puts together the different energies, different fields, different forces of nature. And in that theory, there is the idea that there are some very imperceptible particular kind of entity in the field of superstrings and that these are called strings. It's not like it's a string, but it's called just a name and it vibrates. And the way it vibrates and the direction in which vibrate starts creating all these other values that are apparent and become the photon, the electron, the positron, the, all of these elementary particles, and then they combine together to create the universe. So as if everything is on the basis of sound, on the basis of vibration, and if it's vibration, it means it's sound. And so this is really very, very near and in connection with what the Vedic, the ancient knowledge from the land of the Veda from India, Veda from India, that these seers, these researchers in consciousness have described that actually consciousness vibrates in a sense, and then it appears as the different values of the outer reality. And this is where sound can have a very important effect and a healing effect. And my research with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi on the Vedic literature and its sound and the structure of its sounds has revealed that there is an intimate and very deep connectedness between the structure of our human physiology, our nervous system in particular, and the structure of these sounds. And this is very, very interesting and it's in the right direction. So I think he is presenting in a poetic way what scientists have been describing. Christina Egedeos from uh, United States sends wonderful support and encouragement and a beautiful appreciation. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Francesca Pala from Italy says that Margarita Hack uh, said something, and is it true? Is it useless to try to find out other living forms and other planets since they could be invisible? And are there other living beings on our planet and they cannot be manifest? And does different religion not encourage us to try to look because these are invisible? Is it a negation of the own basis of reality? In fact, the dynamics of nature are invisible to the senses and therefore we can take it to that level so that the laws of nature on more fundamental levels and more primordial levels are not part of what we call visible. There is one thing is sure, is that our nervous system can only see a certain frequency of light, can only see a certain frequency or hear a certain frequency of sound. 
And even our instruments are limited in their perception, in the ability to detect the finer than the finest levels of quantum fields and unified fields, and even those strings that we talked about that are the vibrating aspects of the essence in nature, they are not even amenable, even theoretically right now, with whatever we know, to actual experimental direct observation. So there are forces, there are realities, there are complexities in nature that we don't see. But different religions, and I'm not suggesting this is uh, true or not true, they talk about jinns or about angels, about saints, about things that are in a different world. So therefore, they talk about possibilities as an open thing, because you raised the point, I'm alluding to that. If you go through the book and uh, understand how consciousness is the basis of everything and how it actually leads to all of this, and this is a supposition, a proposition that, that I give even in the early chapters, even though I'm inviting you as the reader not to necessarily believe me, but go through the logic with me and find out for yourself what is your conclusion. So there are, of course, different realities which are invisible to the eyes. Rosa de la Puente is good to take a transcendental meditation, meditate regularly, have good exercise, good sunshine, and then sleep will be better. And transcendental meditation has been shown to help sleeping. So if you have any problem there, try to, uh, to balance different aspects of mental and physical functioning. Transcendental meditation is very, very important. I'm, I know you're doing very well, except this situation of uh, a little bit of sleep. This can happen, you know, uh, depends what we eat in the evening, if you drink coffee or exciting food in the evening. So that will require a little bit more looking into a personal thing. So, uh, Carlos uh, again is with us and he asks about total knowledge. Is there a way to have total knowledge and rather than specific knowledge? So this is a very interesting question because if the unified field, if the unbounded ocean of consciousness contains everything, then totality is within it, wholeness is within it. And if we are that, and if our nervous system, which is, the reality can transcend, which is what we have shown through experiences and which we will talk about also in the book in the forthcoming chapters about consciousness and higher states of consciousness. Being established in that field on the level of consciousness allows us to experience on a spontaneous level the reality and be in tune with the supreme level of growth and development, which is also defined in the book as you go through the chapters, what is the path, what is the roadmap, and how do we evolve through it, and where we have choice, and how we can choose knowing as much as possible by broadening our awareness. So the possibility is absolutely there. As we said, you know that by knowing which you know everything. You be that by being which you are everything. And that is our true self. Our true reality is one unbounded ocean of consciousness. Thank you for joining and have a great 
enjoying fulfilling day and all the best. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.